Let me say what a privilege it is to be here tonight. I'm David Sinclair, pastor at Clemson Presbyterian Church, and had the privilege of knowing Paul and Marie uh, many years ago as students at Clemson, as well as uh, several of the folks behind us as well. What a, what a joy it is to be together tonight. We're preaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. If you have your copies of Scripture, please turn there. And out of reverence and respect for God and His Word, let's stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Jesus Christ, whom God, our wisdom and our righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your grace and mercy to us in Christ. We thank you for this occasion tonight and ask, Lord Jesus, that you would be honored in this worship service and honored in this church for years to come. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Paul and Marie, what a privilege it is to be here and to be a, a part of this ceremony tonight. Uh, Greenwood Presbyterian Church has been blessed with faithful ministry in the past. The faithful ministry of Archie and Glenda Moore. We're thankful for the ministry. We thank you for their continued ministry in this congregation. And now in God's providence, God has called Paul Patrick to be the senior pastor here at this church. I remember both of them, as I mentioned, uh, in uh, Clemson as students, uh, several others as well. If any Carolina fans are here, if you just bear with me for a moment, there is a Clemson connection. Uh, thankful for uh, uh, Mel Duncan, who uh, mentioned just a minute ago, and for J.R. Foster, uh, for Jimmy Walters, who was a little bit ahead of us, for the Randalls, I had the privilege of doing their wedding almost 30 years ago, and it's a wonderful connection. And those that have gone to Clemson, by the way, like to boast. I don't know if you've heard, but we've won some national championships in football. 1981, 2016, 2018. By the way, let's not leave Erskine out. The last time Erskine played Florida State, I don't know if you know this, you soundly defeated the Seminoles in 1949. But well, what a privilege to be back and to have this connection with uh, many of our Clemson friends. You know, boasting is something that comes natural. It's something that's in our fallen DNA. We love to boast about our team's accomplishments. We love to boast about our own accomplishments and achievements. Perhaps John Stott was correct because this this desire to boast is woven into the fabric of an even deeper-seated sin of pride. 
And John Stott said this, at every step of our Christian development and in every sphere of Christian discipleship, pride is our greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. Pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. But it's interesting that while Scripture challenges our pride and our desire to boast, it does not completely eliminate this tendency and desire to boast. For example, Jeremiah reminds us as the followers of Christ something in which we can boast. Jeremiah 29, this is what the Lord says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. For in these boasters I delight. I really believe, as we have just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that the Apostle Paul had been meditating on this very passage. For he addresses the wise and the rich. And he says, these are not things in which you are to boast, but your boast is to be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Now why? He gives us reason in verse 30. That's what we're going to focus in on tonight. We are to be boasters in the Lord because Jesus Christ is our righteousness. That's absolutely essential for us to understand because in order to be in right relationship with our Heavenly Father, there must be righteousness. God Himself is righteous and holy and therefore it is required. Righteousness is required for us to be in right relationship with the living God. But herein lies the problem. We are not a righteous people. The scriptures affirm that. Our own lives affirm that again and again. Isaiah reminds us that all of our righteous acts are as but what? Filthy rags. Putrid rags in the nostrils of our Heavenly Father. The Apostle Paul affirms our lack of righteousness in Romans chapter 3. There is no one righteous. No, not one. No one who understands. No one who seeks God. And so if God requires righteousness to be in right relationship with Him, then wherein lies our righteousness if we have none? Where do we go to find this righteousness? And the answer is the person and work of Christ in Christ alone. I must repent of my sin, but not only of my sin, I must repent of my self-righteousness, of this pretense that somehow I can muster up enough for the living God to accept me. I must repent of that and look to Christ and Christ alone for my righteousness. And that's the good news of the gospel. All the righteousness that God requires of us, He has provided for us through the person of Christ. Paul writes, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God has been revealed. A righteousness, this by faith from first to last, 
the righteous shall live by faith. Did you hear that? There's a righteousness that's from God, not worked up in from ourselves and offered to Him, but offered to us from God, the righteousness of Christ. And when we place our faith and our trust in Christ, His righteousness becomes ours. In explaining that righteousness and justification by faith, in Romans 4, Paul put it this way, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, but not just to him. Paul expands that later on in chapter 4, and he writes these words, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for him alone, but for us who believe, who believe in God, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who is our justification. Did you hear that? The very righteousness of Jesus, his perfect righteousness, is counted to us. It's credited to us. It's imputed to us. Good Southerners say it's reckoned to us as righteousness. And so when the holy eye of the Father looks upon us, even in our sin, even in our unworthiness, He sees the righteousness of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That righteousness that has been credited to us and now covers us and clothes us and is received by faith alone. Paul put it this way to the Corinthians. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so if there's any boasting before the throne of God, it is this. Jesus Christ alone is my righteousness. Jesus Christ alone is our righteousness. But second, Christ alone is not only our righteousness, He is our sanctification or our holiness. The psalmist asked the question, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in His holy hill? And the answer, He who has clean hands, and a pure heart. And my friends, we have neither. So how can we approach a holy, holy, holy God? We must do so again through the person and work of Christ. Brian Chapel tells the story of the time in which as a young boy his family moved from the city to rural Illinois. And some of the boys in the community got together with Brian and he wanted to fit in and he wanted to become part of the gang. And so they were running through the woods and through some fields in the back of a neighborhood. And all the boys in the group knew that in the middle of the field was a culvert. Now it was fall time and leaves had covered that culvert. And so as they're running through that field and Brian's trying as hard as he can to keep up with them and, and to fit in with them, all the boys knew where that culvert were, was and, and they began to jump over it. Everybody knew where it was except for Brian. 
And as Brian was behind, running with all his might to catch up, he came to the culvert and he fell in face first. And that culvert was filled with raw sewage. And he got up covered in sewage, embarrassed and disgusted and disappointed. And he began to make his way back to his house. As he came into his backyard, his mother at the kitchen window saw him as only mothers can do from a distance and knew my boy is hurting. And as Brian came to the back steps and his mother opened that back door to the house, Brian is thinking, Mom's going to kill me for these clothes being so filthy. But instead, she stooped down on her knees and she embraced him in all of his filth and sewage she embraced him and my friends in a very real sense that's what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross he embraced us in our filth he took our filth our putrid sin upon himself and the father in our place poured out his wrath upon his son Brian said that when his mother embraced him all of a sudden he felt this sense of warmth and acceptance and grace and if you are in Jesus Christ tonight and know the filth of your own heart and the holiness of God and the love of Christ on the cross you too will begin to feel more profoundly the embrace of his warmth of his mercy and of his grace Jesus Christ is our holiness and while he calls us to pursue holiness in our daily lives to that sanctification which calls for a progressive sanctification of dying more and more unto sin and saying yes more and more unto righteousness the beauty of the gospel is that while we continue to fall short in our progressive sanctification in our pursuit of holiness Jesus Christ is your holiness by definition, that's why God can look at you through the pen of the apostle and call you saints, holy ones, those who've been set apart by Christ for the Father's glory. And so Jesus, tonight, is your righteousness. He's your holiness. And finally, Paul tells us, He is your redemption. The word redeem is an old slave market term. It was when you purchased a slave for the purpose of setting them free. God has purchased us with the blood of his own son in order to set us free from the law of sin and death and hell. Jesus Christ is our great redeemer. We who were enslaved to sin have been set free by the work of Christ. I love the way Peter puts it. He writes in his first letter, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold. You know today we measure the value of silver and gold not by pounds but by ounces. But it is nothing. It is worthless in comparison with the immeasurable wealth and worth and treasure of the blood of Christ. For you were redeemed not with silver and gold, perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without defect. Do you know what that means? If you're a believer in Christ, 
You are worth more to the Father than all the riches in this world. All the gold, all the silver, all the jewels, all the diamonds are nothing in comparison with you because you are the treasure of His heart purchased by no less than the blood of Christ Himself. Jesus is your redemption. In the 1960s, Covenant Theological Seminary was offered an extremely large sum of money. But there was a catch. One of the family members of the very wealthy family in St. Louis that was planning on giving the money attended a chapel service. And there in that chapel service, they heard a hymn that greatly offended them. They set up a meeting with Dr. Rayburn, who was the president at that time, and they said, if you do not take this hymn out of the hymnal, we cannot give you the money. Dr. Rayburn looked at the hymn, and then he looked at this person in his office, and he said, you can keep all of the money. The hymn, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. My friends, Jesus Christ is your righteousness. He is your holiness. He is your redemption. In 1988, I took a group of students to Mexico and at that time, uh, we landed. Our first Sunday was in Merida. And we gathered together all the students and some of the staff that we had with us. And we worshiped in a Hispanic church, in a Mexican church. Now, at that point, and still true today, the extent of my Spanish is about taco and burrito. And so I, for about two hours of this long worship service, didn't understand hardly anything that was going on. But I could tell towards the end, it was about to wrap up. And just as we're about to leave, the pastor introduced a music group. And they began singing, and they continued to sing for another full hour. It had been three hours. And I don't know that I understood a word at all until the last song, and the refrain of that last song, I recognized something. Solo Cristo. Solo Cristo. Solo Cristo. Christ alone. Christ alone. Christ alone. Friends, that's the beauty of the gospel of grace. All the righteousness that God requires of you, He's provided for you in the person and work of Christ. All the holiness, all the redemption, He has provided in Christ and in Christ alone. And so it is in Christ alone that we've been called to boast, to worship, to praise, to exalt, and to exult in the glories of Christ alone. Paul is senior pastor of this church. This is your message. This is the message the people of God desperately need to hear. Christ alone. It needs to be proclaimed from this holy writ. It needs to be proclaimed from the pulpit. It needs to be resounded in our ears and our minds and our hearts. Christ alone. Christ alone. Christ alone.
Let's pray together. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to you alone belongs all glory, laud, and honor. Thank you, O Father, and sovereign grace, you devised the plan to send Christ who would be our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Thank you, O Christ, for willingly coming and being our righteousness, holiness, and redemption and purchasing us on the cross with your own blood. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying the glorious truths of the gospel of grace to our hearts and to our lives. Would you bless Paul as he proclaims from the pulpit Christ alone? Would you bless the elders and deacons and the dear saints at Greenwood Presbyterian? That resounding from this place will be the glorious truth throughout this entire county, Christ and Christ alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.